You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. I want to talk today about a short passage in Psalms 52. And before we read the two scriptures in Psalms 52, I want to kind of set up the whole story for you. You see, David although he has been anointed king, is not king of Israel at this time. He was a shepherd boy. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He even has killed Goliath at this point as he's about to write Psalms 52. But as he is serving the king at the time, King Saul, King Saul is getting more and more jealous of David. They're singing songs about David. Women are falling in love with David. He's captivating the people. And the king is getting more and more angry. But it says that whenever David would play his music, he'd play his harp, it would calm the spirit of the king. So the one that made him the angriest was also the one that could calm him the most. And as he's in the kingdom, David gets, King Saul gets more and more mad at him, and eventually David has to leave and David has to run away. And David runs away and he runs to the priest, he runs to the house of God to hide. And while he's hiding, he, he asks and tells them to, to not let, him, let the king know he actually tells them that the king had sent him on his way and he had to leave his food, he had to leave his friends, he had to leave his weapons behind. And there's this guy by the name of, let's just call him Doug, D-O-E-G, Doug the Edomite. I hate that guy already. And he's there at the priest's house, he sees David and he runs back to King Saul And he rats him out. And he tells King Saul, I know where David is. I'll tell you. I'll show you. He's with the priest. And David gets so mad at Doug for what he did, for ratting him out. He does what any man does. He pulls out a piece of paper. He pulls out a pen. And he writes this diss track. He writes this song out of anger and how much he hates Doug for ratting him out to the king. And you can read it. It's only nine verses in Psalms 52. We're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 today. And he writes at the end of Psalms 52 verses. You know what? We have time. Let me go there. Let me just read these quick scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I'm joking. Psalms, thank you, thank you, Uh, Psalms, what page number is it, Psalms 50, there's 51, Psalms 52, Psalms 52 is called the end of the wicked and the peace of the godly, pretty cool title David, a contemplation of David when Doug the Edomite went and told Saul, tattletailed on him, and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Listen to this song he writes about Doug. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? 
The goodness of God endures continually. Amen to that. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. Get it, David. God shall likewise destroy you forever. Oh boy, getting dark here. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. And we can pull up verse 8. And then David like switches as he's writing. I can see him just angrily being like, but then he remembers that God is on his side. He says, but I, old dumb Doug the Edomite is all of these things, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and forever. And verse nine says, I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. We're going to talk about verse 8 today, and we'll talk about verse 9 next week. The full story of this interaction between David and dumb Doug the Edomite can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. You can go read it this week in your personal time. I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. You see, David, he leaves the house of King Saul, and the first place he goes when he knows that he's in trouble is to the priest, Ahimelech, and the house of God. Something that we can all learn, something that we can all grow from in David. So many people, when something goes wrong in their life, when something happens in their life, the first thing they do is run away from church, Instead of running to the house of God. David shows up when he leaves and he understands that he is abandoned by his king, abandoned by his country, doesn't know where to go, doesn't have friends. He says, the only place that I can go is the house of God. And when he shows up to the house of God, he's hungry. It says he's been traveling for multiple days. And he asks the priest, give me some food. And the priest says, all that we have is the holy bread that's in the temple. He says, well, I'm going to die of hunger. I have to have food. And he says, well, I'll give you the holy bread. And he said, I ran so fast because as he was trying to kind of hide and preserve himself, he said, the king sent me away so fast, I, didn't even, I couldn't even bring a weapon. Do you have something that I can use? And he says, the only thing that we have is the sword of Goliath that you killed. He says, that'll do. I'll, I'll take that. I'm pretty sure that's a good weapon. And isn't it amazing that when he gets to the house of God, when he has, when he's at the peak of the most struggles, of the most stress, of the most uh, just frenzy things going on in his life, he steps into the house of God and the things that he devours is the bread of God and the sword of God, both representing the word of God. In Ephesians 6, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. And one of the things that we put on is the sword of the Spirit. 
It says in Revelations, when it's talking about Jesus, talks about him having this white hair, talks about him having flames of fire in his eyes, and it says, out of his mouth comes a sword. Glad that guy's on my side, right? That devours the nations. And that it says that God's word, it won't return void. It says that it'll do exactly what it's supposed to do. It says that in the scripture, it says that God sent his word and it healed me from destruction. That we can learn from David in our moments of weakness, in our moments of struggle, in our moments of where we don't know where to go or what to do, that where we run to first is the house of God. Now, luckily, you're here today, so congrats. Because when you're in the house of God, you can be fed with the Word of God. It can be sustaining, and it can help you. It can nourish you as the bread of God. But the Word of God can also be a sword in your hand that can destroy the works of the devil. It can nourish you spiritually. It can nourish you emotionally. It can nourish you physically. But it can also be a sword in your hand to kick that dumb dug and that dumb devil right in the teeth. Jesus came with the sole purpose to destroy the works of the devil, to seek and save that which is lost, but also to destroy the works of the devil. And while he's there with the priest, he realizes and sees Doug there. He gets the sword, he gets the food, and he moves on and he leaves. Doug runs as quick as he can back to King Saul. He says, boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have a story for you. Thinking he was going to get promoted, thinking that he was going to get fame, thinking he was going to get fortune. He rats out the future king to King Saul. So then King Saul calls the priest, priest Ahimelech, and the other priest in front of him. And they all show up and he starts talking to them. And he said, did you know, did you allow David into your place? And he said, yes, he said, but we didn't know that you didn't send him. He told us that you sent him. And he said, no, 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 you're trying to serve and overthrow the king, so therefore it's time for you to die. And he tells his guards in his castle, in his place, to kill the priest. I don't know about you, but that's probably not a good thing to kill your pastor. I recommend not doing that. <laughs> and none of the guards... We'll do it. They say, no, 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 we're, we can't kill priests. That's, that's not in our, and our good old friend Doug's right there, and he tells Doug to kill the priest. And it says that on that day, Doug killed 85 priests and men of God, slaughtered them because they were protecting David. One of them got away, went and found David, and David had sorrow in his soul as he's crying out, and he says, as soon as I saw Doug, I knew, I knew that it was going to be trouble. And in the moment of pain, only, he's been kicked out of the kingdom. He's running from the king. He's got no friends. He's got no family. He's hiding in a cave. And then on top of all that pain, on top of all that sorrow, this priest shows up, bloody and broken and torn up. And he says, by the way, because of your decision... 85 priests got killed. Woo, thanks for cheering me up there, guys. And all that he can do, as the priest is standing there, he says, give me a piece of paper. 
and give me a pen. I've got to get this emotion out. And he starts writing about Doug the Edomite. But he remembers who he is in the Lord. He remembers what God has called him to be. And he finishes this song, Psalm 52, verse 8, saying, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I'll praise you forever because you've done it. In the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. You've been here long enough. You know that I love now scriptures and I love but scriptures. He's writing all of this hatred. He's writing all of this pain. He's writing all of this frustration that he is well entitled to do. But it's like he snaps out of it and he remembers his God. He remembers the promise. He remembers the oil pouring down upon him in front of his family as he was anointed king. He remembers the anointing and the power of God coming upon him as he's running toward that Philistine to knock him out. He's remembering the power and the presence of God as he's playing his heart in front of this king who's starting to hate him. He remembers all of those things and he says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. David decided in the middle of trouble, in the middle of pain, in the middle of despair, that number one, he would go to the house of God. And that two, he decided that no matter how long he was in this season of pain, in this season of trouble, in this season of frustration, he decided he wouldn't be a rotting olive tree. He decided he wasn't going to be a dying olive tree. He wasn't going to be a withered and emotional and frustrated olive tree. He says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. That word green in the Hebrew means to be or grow luxuriant. To be or grow, if you're taking notes, L-U-X-U-R-I-A-N-T. <laughs> Can't even say the word, much less spelled luxurious. It also means fresh, prosperous, and flourishing. Look at the faith that David is standing on. Look at the declaration that he's standing on. His pastor just got killed. His king hates him. His family has left him. He has nothing. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have a house. He's hiding in a cave. And he says that as long as I'm in the house of God, I'm going to be a green olive tree. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to flourish. And I'm going to be fresh. In Romans chapter 11, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And he writes in Romans 11, I believe 11, he makes the declaration that salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then in Romans chapter 11, verse 13, he calls out the Gentiles. He says, pay attention, Gentiles, to what I'm about to say. And then he keeps writing. And in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 17, he says, and if some of the branches were broken off, he's talking about the Jewish people here, 
And look at this, and you, because he's talking about the Gentiles, he, he references and tells the Gentiles, pay attention in verse 13, in verse 11, and you Gentiles, talking about you, talking about me, talking about all of us bacon lovers and Willistonians, being a wild olive tree, I like that, a wild olive tree, we were grafted in among them, among the other branches, and with them, look at this, we became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. We'll talk about fatness in a second. We were this wild olive tree far, far away, and Jesus decided with God's help to bring this wild olive tree and graft it in to this Jewish olive tree. So now we've become this one big family. Look at verse 18. Do not boast against the branches. We aren't better than the Jewish people. We're all one family together. But look at this. But if you do boast, if you're going to boast in anything, remember that you do not support the root. But look at this. But the root supports you. Now in Isaiah and all the way in Revelations, there is a name of Jesus that is given. And the name that is given to Jesus, he's called the root of David. Jesus himself, if you're going to boast in anything, remember, you don't support the root. It's Jesus who supports you. And David, all the way back in Psalms 52, is having this revelation of this Messiah, of this Savior, who's coming to save him, who's coming to restore him, who's coming to bring the prophetic word to him and bring truth to him. He says, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get answers or how to figure this out, but I know who can support me. Nobody else is supporting me, but I'll go to the house of God. And it says, like Paul had the revelation, that it's the root that supports you and supports me. Now, part if you read deep in Exodus 30 as Moses is writing all of these rules and these regulations for the old covenant, he gets a revelation on what he should make anointing oil with, how he should make anointing oil. And you can find the ingredients and all that in Exodus 30. But one of the ingredients of making anointing oil is olive oil. A certain part of olive oil needs to be added in to make this anointing oil. Now, If you read through the scriptures, anointing oil represents the Holy Spirit. Anointing oil represents the presence of God. And then Jesus, I believe in John 15, he tells us, he tells us multiple times, but you can find it in John 15, he tells us to bear fruit. He calls us trees, he calls us branches, he calls us vines, and he tells us that it's your job, and he expects you, and he commands you to bear fruit. And David has this revelation that I'm going to be a green olive tree in the middle of the storm, in the middle of this crazy season, in the middle of everybody against me, I choose to bear fruit. I'm not going to be like dumb Doug and rat everybody out, do all these terrible, wicked things. I'm going to be a green olive tree and I'm going to bear fruit. Even in my stress, even in my emotional turmoil, I'm going to flourish in the house of God. I'm going to grow 
and I'm going to bear fruit. As a fresh and prospering and flourishing green olive tree, we produce fruit that then produces oil. Paul has this revelation that we have the fruit of the Spirit. That we should grow and operate in the fruit of the Spirit. That as I'm here on earth, as I'm in the house of God, I am not just going to sit as a bump on the log. I'm going to grow. I am going to be refreshed. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to bear fruit. And when I do bear fruit, there's the oil that comes out of it. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Now in Acts chapter 10, as Peter is talking to Cornelius, the first Gentile convict, convict, convert, (laughs) Acts chapter 10 verse 38, he's in the middle of his sermon, and he says, look, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Now we have to stop right here, because when we see these scriptures, it reminds us and it reveals to us the Trinity of God. We as Christians, reading this book, we believe in one God and three different parts. They're all God, but they all have their unique parts and purposes. We believe in a triune God. There's God the Father, who is here, who anointed God the Son, who is Jesus of Nazareth, who came as a man and came as God to earth to fulfill the purpose that God had planned for. And while he was here on earth, he then gave him the third part of the Trinity, the God of the Spirit, to then go. And what does the the power of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit on his life, it says, who went about doing good. When the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it should help you and propel you to do good. Should help you overcome sin, not keep sinning. With the Holy Spirit inside of you, it should propel you and encourage you and help you to do good and heal all who are oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. God was with him. God anointed him, a green olive tree. And he gave him, as he was bearing fruit, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, with power, all of a sudden gave him the ability to do good and to kick Doug and the devil in the teeth. Now I hear each and every one of you right now, you say, well, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Of course, God's going to give him the best stuff. He didn't live here in 2023 on this earth in Williston in South Carolina dealing with the things that I deal with and the struggles that I have to deal with. He hasn't given me those things. How can I overcome sin? How can I overcome my emotions? How can I overcome these things? I'm glad you asked because I have the answer for you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, look at this. But the anointing which you have received, look, from him, capitalized H, talking about Jesus, But the anointing which you have received from Jesus, look at this, it now abides in you. God gave anointing to Jesus, which was the Holy Spirit and power. And Jesus, if God will give you Jesus, we just read that in Romans, if he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. And so he gave you the anointing, (coughs) dying here, of his spirit and of his power. 
And if it helped Jesus do good and destroy the works of the devil, then that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of you and help you do good and destroy the works of the devil. You have received from him abides in you. And look at this. You do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing, the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Look at this. And is true. It's not a lie. And just as it is taught you, look at this, you will abide in him. It said in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, for God was with Jesus. 1 John 2.27 says that anointing in you will abide in him. That's some good anointing oil. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. But I am like a green. No matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on, there's something powerful. There's something impactful. There's something that can happen and help me and change me when I'm in the house of God. When I make the decision, I'm going to grow and I'm going to flourish, not because of who I am, but because of who is inside of me and with me. There's an anointing that he has placed inside of you to help you grow and flourish even in the season that you're in, even in the struggle that you're in, even in the frustration that you're in, even in whatever's going through. There is an anointing that is inside of you to grow and to flourish and to be green. We as Christians are not called to wither and die and fall by the wayside. Well, I've been in church for 50, 60 years. It's just part of church. We just grow old and we just go to glory. No, no, no. I'm getting greener. I'm getting more and more flourished. The more I grow and the more I'm in church. David understood a connection between flourishing in life and being in the house of God. Psalms 92, verses 12, 13, and 14. We've talked about this scripture before when we talked about a heart for his house. The righteous, that's you and that's me. Remember, we're no longer sinners. We are now righteous. Jesus took on our sins so that he could give us his righteousness. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and the righteous shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Look at verse 13. Those who are planted, who are planted in the house of the Lord, you're not just here one day and then you're gone for a couple of months and then you show up on Christmas and then you're here for Easter. I'm talking to the empty seats. You're here today. I'm not talking to you. But those that are planted, this is what you're experiencing today in the house of God, shall flourish in the courts of our God. Look at verse 14. And the righteous who are planted in the house, who are flourishing in the house, they'll bear fruit. Where? In their old age. They'll keep growing. They'll keep turning green. And they'll be fresh and they'll be flourishing. Now we talked about fatness earlier in, uh, in Romans eleven seventeen, where it tells us that we'll be partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. In verse 14 of Psalms 92, that word fresh actually means full of fat, full of sap, or full of oil. Praise God. And then flourishing right here is the same word as green that we see in Psalms 52. That if you plant yourself in the house of God and you flourish in the courts of God, then you'll bear fruit even in your old age. And that fruit and that tree will be full of oil, full of that anointing oil 
that'll overflow in your life. That'll show up when you feel weary, when you feel tired, when you feel worn out, when you don't know what to do. You come to the house of God and you get full of that oil. Even if you're at home, you can still call upon the reservoirs of that oil. And then you'll flourish. And then the second part, we'll finish with this. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. And then he says, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. That word trust in the original text means to confide in anyone. To set one's hope and confidence. To confide in anyone, to set one's hope and confidence, to be secure, to fear nothing, to cause to trust, to confide. David, as he's writing this letter, he writes, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. He confides in the mercy of God. He sets his hope and his confidence on the mercy of God. He's secure in the mercy of God. Think about this. At this moment as he's writing it, he trusts no one. He is literally a fugitive of the state. The king hates him, and therefore the entire kingdom hates him. His enemies hate him. Remember he killed Goliath, the Philistines. They're still around. They hate him. They want to kill him. He also realizes that if he does have any friends in the kingdom, if he goes to see them, they are in mortal danger. He has evidence of that. 85 priests, 85 of his pastors and his pastoral friends just got killed by dumb old Doug. He cannot trust anyone. He's got nowhere to turn He's got no one to confide in. He's got no security in his life. And what he writes out of the faithfulness of his heart is, I trust in the mercies of God forever and ever. My situation has not changed. The king is against me. The kingdom is against me. The world is against me, literally and figuratively. And I trust in the mercies of God forever and ever. The only person he can trust is God. And what he puts his trust in is the mercy of God. Moses is talking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He receives a revelation and he tells the Israelites the same thing that I believe he's telling us today. Therefore know that the Lord your God. Look at this. He is God. He is God. No, and you have to make the realization that he is God. That's something that you and God are going to have to come to terms with. I can tell you that God is real. I can tell you that I believe in Jesus and the power of the cross and what he did. I can believe that the Holy Spirit, because of salvation, is now inside of me, and I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have the gifts of the Spirit. I have the evidence of speaking in tongues. I can tell you all of these things. But it's between you and God figuring out he is God. He's the only God. He's the true God. And it also says here, he's the faithful God. The faithful God. And it says that he keeps his covenant. 
and his mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Doesn't matter if your parents think that he is God. Doesn't matter if your pastor thinks that he is God. Doesn't matter if your siblings, your teacher, your coworkers, your boss, your spouse. Doesn't matter if all of them think that he is God. It comes down between you and him. Listen, one day we will all stand before God. If you believe the book, and you should, we're all going to stand before him. Now, as your pastor, it says that as a teacher, I am held accountable for every word that I say to people. That is a very sobering and terrifying thing at times. I've also, I've been in ministry for over a decade now. I've preached youth groups, young adults groups, Bible studies, small groups, pastored. I've preached and talked to a lot of people and said a lot of things. And I'm pretty sure the Lord is going to show me some things that I have said. But I have tried so faithfully to ask God, one, to help me say only what the Holy Spirit wants me to say. And then I back it up and say, Holy Spirit, let them forget the things that I wasn't supposed to say. But you're going to one day stand in front of God. And you can't call me. I need to call Jeremiah in front of the throne room. He didn't tell me that you were real. He didn't tell me to believe in you. I did, by the way. But you can't pin it on me. You can't pin it on your parents. You can't pin it on anyone. Now, I'm going to stand in front of God with what he gave me with my wife and my children and praise God, they're going to come to know him at an early age and walk with him for the rest of their days. But you've got to come to the conclusion that he is God, the faithful God. Even when I'm faithless, the scripture says, he is faithful. And look, he's so faithful that he'll keep his covenant. We are now in a new covenant. Aren't you grateful for that new covenant? The old covenant has gone away, and behold, there's a new covenant with a new mediator who has better principles and better things that we can stand on. And that covenant, he says, if we believe on him, he will extend his covenant and his mercy for a thousand generations. Now, it's believed that a generation is anywhere from 15 to 20 years is a generation. From Louisiana, we're last in education, so I'm not great at math, but 20 times 1,000 is 20,000 years, right? Carry the two. 20,000 years. He'll be faithful with his covenant, and he'll be faithful with his mercy. The average life expectancy right here in America is 76 years old, give or take. I believe that God has enough mercy, enough grace, and enough love to take care of your little old 76 years if he's extending his mercy for 20,000 years. He has enough. Psalms 136, verse 1. Oh, come on, rain. Slow it down so we can get to our cars here in a second. Well, I'll just keep preaching. Actually, I won't. We're going to run out of notes here shortly. Psalms 136.1, David writes this over and over and over again. You can read this throughout the scriptures. You can read it throughout Psalms. It's just something that seems to be birthed out of people when they start celebrating the goodness of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. God is a good God. 
I always say it, God's a good God, and God does good things, and God wants to do good things to you. If you could believe those three things, I guarantee you it will change your life, and it will change your perception on who God is. Number one, God is good. Oh, give thanks to God, for he is good. The reason that I worship you, the reason that I praise you, the reason that I offer everything that I have in my life and everything that I have is because he's good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercies endures forever. His mercies, they endure forever. That word mercy is basically the Hebrew word for grace. Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, benevolence. The word grace is actually in the definition. Favor and the mercy of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his goodness endures forever. For his kindness endures forever. For his faithfulness endures forever. Benevolence, his grace and his favor, it endures forever. And in the middle of all the chaos, David says, I trust in the goodness of God. My king isn't being good to me. My country isn't being good to me. My family isn't being good to me. My job isn't being good to me. But God, your kindness is forever. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. I've got three more scriptures, and I'm finishing up. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Praise God for that. That's a good scripture. I want to highlight that one. Look, because his compassions fail not. His compassions fail not. So many other things fail. David, his king failed him. His country failed him. His friends failed him. His enemies failed him. Everybody failed him. Even here now on earth, so many things are failing. Our health is failing. Without God's intervention, our country is failing. Our economy is failing. The world is failing. It says that the world is groaning and crying out for the sons of God to show up. Because his compassions fail not. His mercies, they're new every morning. Look at this. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. How can he have his mercies and his covenant extending for 20,000 years, 1,000 generations? It's because he's still making new mercies. He's still making new mercies for you and for me. God is the creator. He starts this whole thing. Genesis chapter 1, by creating this world. It's how he reveals himself. He reveals himself as a creator, and God is still in the business of creating. Creating, creating me a new heart. Remember the scripture says? He's creating new mercies every day for you and for me and for whatever we need in this life. Great is your faithfulness. The prophet Isaiah writes, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, look at this, the Lord will wait. He will wait. The God of the universe, the God who's been around for thousands and thousands of generations, the God who has created the cell, created humanity, created the planets and created the universe, 
He's moving all these pieces. He's sending all of these angels. He sent his son. He sent the Holy Spirit. He's a mover. He's a shaker. He's making all these things. He's building up these churches. He's building up these people for ministry. He's assigning these people to go here and go there. He's moving. He's busy. His itinerary is full. And it says here that the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. Look at this. For the Lord is a God of justice. I know our justice system is pretty crazy right now. And people in the streets are crying out for justice. But remember that we serve a God who is the God of justice. He's not in the justice system. He is justice. And if therefore the Lord will wait for me, Blessed are all those who wait for him. David says, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I will trust in the mercies, in the goodness and the kindness of God forever and ever. I will wait right here. If you're waiting on me, I'll wait for you. I might still have sickness in my body, but God, I'll wait for your healing. I might be still walking through some sin in my life, but I'll keep standing here for your righteous to show up. I might still be believing for some gifts or the fruits of the Holy Spirit or some things to change. I'll keep waiting, God. If you waited for me all these years to get saved, to find out who you are, to know you, if you waited all this time, God, I'll wait here until I hear your voice, until you tell me to move, until you tell me to go. If you tell me to leave some things, I'll leave them right here. If you tell me to pick up some things, I'll pick them up and I'll carry them right here. I'll wait for you. And when it says when you wait for him, it says you're blessed. Isn't God a good God? He could just say, wait, and I'll come get you in a second. But he says, if you wait for me, there's a blessing attached to that. And the last scripture I have, I'll finish with this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you've been in church, you've heard this scripture plenty of times. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beg of you. I implore of you, therefore, brothers and sisters. Look at this. By the mercies of God. Everything else you cannot do on your own. What he's about to say, you cannot do on your own outside of having and accepting and receiving and trusting in the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Time out, God. That's impossible. How? A living sacrifice. Okay, I'll try my whole life to present myself as a living sacrifice. Don't forget holy. Dang it, God. I was just trying to get the, the living sacrifice part down. Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then Paul writes, which is your reasonable service, which is the least you can do. Oh, okay, Paul, cool. We're not all spiritual like you, Paul. I've got a wife and kids and a job and a dog and a cat and a house and a church and a community. I've got all these things that I've got to take care of. And you said just my reasonable service is to live a holy, living sacrifice, perfect life. I can't do that on my own. You're right, you can't. But with the mercies of God, it's possible. Holy, living sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your reason for verse 2, last scripture. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable 
and perfect will of God. So it says that Jesus went about doing good, and it says that when I receive the mercies of God, I can go out and prove to the world, I'm not like you, I'm good. Now calm down, let's not get prideful and go tell the sinners that you're better than them. No, no, no. Because God is in me and moving through me, they'll start asking, there's something different about you. I saw that situation. I saw people handle that same situation differently. How did it happen to you? Well, I'm not conformed to this world. I've been transformed. I'm a green olive tree, and I'm receiving, I'm bearing fruit, and as I'm bearing fruit, I'm releasing the anointing and the presence of God, that olive oil, into my life and into my surroundings. And I can put my trust in a ton of things, but what I choose to do is I choose to trust in the mercies, in the goodness, in the favor, in the grace of God to help me. I know my situation looks bleak. I know it's falling apart. My friends have died. My government hates me. All of these things are happening. But I'm going to go to the house of God, and I'm going to continue to flourish. And as I'm flourishing, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to wait on you to show up, God. I'm just going to believe your word is more powerful than the situation and the emotions that I'm feeling. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I don't think I even told you all the title of the sermon, but I wrote Wisdom from a Psalmist. This is part one. We'll talk about part two next week. Psalms 52, verses 8 and 9. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Next week, we'll talk about, I will praise you forever because you have done it. I like that right there. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. Amen. Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories and these collections of scriptures. Father, that you inspired these men to write over many, many years. You inspired them and you encouraged them and you gave them the words and the wisdom to write. And those became this collection of books called the Bible, the inspired word of God. And Father, I thank you that we can read that word, we can eat that word, we can devour that word, and that word is what can change and transform our lives, Father. We know that it's a good seed, and Jesus talked about it when he says that, that, that the sower goes and sows the seed, but now it's our job to let that seed resound and reside inside of our spirit, man. And Father, I thank you that the seeds and the word that was preached today will fall on good soil in each and every one of these people's lives. And it will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, even 100 fold. And I thank you for that fruit that is being born out of them is just the presence of God, the goodness of God, the sweetness of God. It says in the scriptures that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that repentance is encouraging us and telling us, like Romans chapter 12, to transform our mind. I was thinking this way. I was walking this way. But I am repenting. I am turning around away from that lie, and I'm walking to the truth. Because it says when you know the truth, it's the truth that will set us free. And Father, I thank you that this word is setting people free today. 
setting people free today from their situations, setting people free today from their sin, setting people free today from whatever mindset that they walked in today. I thank you that your word is setting them free and that they are a green olive tree. They are flourishing in this, their life. They are not uh, falling by the wayside. They are not being destroyed. They are not going down, Father, but they are being elevated higher like you've called them to be. And Father, we choose today to trust in your mercy, trust in your goodness, trust in your love, trust in your grace, knowing that it is forever endeavor. My situation right now is temporary, but your mercy is forever. So I choose today to wait on you. I wait to hear your voice. I wait to hear your direction. It says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You will tell me the next step, and you'll tell me where to go the rest of this year, Father. So Holy Spirit, speak to these people today. Help them in their situation and call them up higher like you are wanting to do today. Now, Father, I just pray scripture over them. I thank you that they are the head and not the tail. They're above and not beneath. I thank you that they have the mind of Christ and that their body is the temple of the Most High God. Father, if there is sickness in their body, by the stripes of Jesus, they are already healed. You sent your word and you healed them from any type of destruction. Father, I thank you for Psalm 91 protection over them, over their bodies, and over their houses, Father. I thank you that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against them, including their own, we condemn in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to prosper because the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. And Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth, the city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Father, I thank you that this week we will be used by you to tell somebody how good God is, and how good God wants to be in their lives. Father, I thank you for this gospel message that when we hear that Christ died for our sins, he was buried in a tomb and he rose again, we believe and we confess that, Father. I thank you that it is the power of salvation that pulls us out of darkness, that pulls us out of hell and brings us into your kingdom of light and brings us into heaven. Father, bless these people, protect these people, cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep them dry as well. Amen. God bless y'all. We love you. We'll see y'all next Sunday. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.